It's been three years since my big leap of faith, and I've gone from flight to landing to skipping along, and now, well, well, let's just say even a slow crawl feels tough. I'm here to get some inspiration in this transition to living my truth. How about you? We'll get comfy, because it's you time. Here's another episode of That Spinster Life. Welcome to That Spinster Life. I'm Melissa Jones. This week, we're kicking off season two interviews with my friend, Catherine T. Morris. When we sat down to chat, it was late summer 2020. As it turns out, the conversation still holds. Here's a bit about Catherine. Based in Boston, she is a mother, a social entrepreneur, a visionary, and an events producer who works at the intersection of arts, culture, and creative placekeeping. Over the last 20 years, she's produced shows and interactive events that have mobilized and engaged audiences to experience the arts. She is the Director of Public Programs for the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum and the Founder and Executive Director of Boston Art and Music Soul Fest, or BAMS Fest, an organization that strives to break down racial and social barriers to arts, music, and culture for marginalized communities and artists of color across greater Boston. Catherine is a presenter, panelist, and moderator, a grant review panelist, an alum of Temple University and Simmons University, and a 2018 National Art Strategies Creative Community Fellow through the Barr Foundation in Boston. I call her Mogul, and you can see why. Learn more about Catherine and her work at bamsfest.org. Enjoy this chat about the transition from leaping to living with Boston arts and culture leader, Catherine T. Morris. Hello, That Spinster Life listeners and watchers. We are here for another episode this week. I hope you had a great week since last we chatted. This week we have the Catherine T. Morris. I know she's over there looking. I see you looking all, you're like, she's insane. The, you know, I always say the Catherine T. Morris. So um, we are pals from my days in Boston and uh, just been, you know, watching this amazing lady's work, this queen mogul's work for many years now. And uh, some things have been happening, uh, you know, COVID be damned. Uh, this, yes. you, know, you are still doing your thing. So I forget, I forget how we met. I, I feel like I've got some chicken and egg story in here. Did we meet? Was it for the porch host thing was the first time we met in person or was it? Yes. Your, when it was, so I cold called you and I was like, you need to do this. Yeah, you surely did. Okay. And so then, and Bowen yeah. told you to do that <laughs> with me. <laughs> Pretty much, that's how it works. That's awesome. And then you, and then you volunteered me to do a bunch of stuff for you. Those panels, I think they were so fun. I loved mm. doing your panel, facilitating mm. your panels um, for you know your BAMS Fest year-round programming, which you know in terms of the festival uh, culture was is really a revolutionary idea that you did. You know, and thank um, you. Just having before, so let me just clue you all in. I'm going to let you talk about your own stuff in a second, but I got to brag on you for a minute because you're my friend. I'm going to do that. <laughs> so Catherine says she plays the long game, right? So in terms, we're talking this season about living your truth and the risks you take and the steps you take in order to do that, right? How do you live in your walk? Well, this, <laughs> this woman <laughs> said, I want to have this big old crazy festival in 
two years now. I'm in a city that's hostile to black folks gathering. Ooh, I said that out loud. Oh, well, I'm mm, not editing claim it. it. I'm not editing anything. I'm not editing that out. Uh, in an environment that can be hostile, I'm going to maybe soften it a little bit, can be hostile, still not editing that other part out, to Black folks gathering in large numbers. And the hostility is expressed not so much in we don't want you to do that, but this is how much it costs and we know you can't raise that money. These are the permits that you have to get. And we know that we're gonna, it's def- tough for you to get those permits. So that's how it's done, right? It's, so it's the subversive hostility. Um, but I'm going to do this festival in two years. But to ramp up to it, to get everybody, introduce this company, introduce this concept, gather forces, create the groundswell that we're going to need in order to make sure that City Hall lets us do this thing. I'm going to do two years worth of free programming. Crazy. (laughs) Two years of it. So that by the time the festival comes, everybody is losing their minds because they want this festival. And you know what? It worked. It worked. It worked. It was, you know, I, it, I couldn't even be there. I was down the street at flipping theater, waving my hands in front of a pit orchestra, and I couldn't come. And I was in town. I had left town by then. So anyway, so, um, so, so uh, Mogul Morris, you are, <laughs> you're a space maker. You're a placemaker. You're a galvanizer, right, of folks. Yeah. And that's yeah. A, yeah, it's true. It's true. You're you're a you're a uniter of communities, and you're you've done this. You're doing this in the most visible way through this festival, right? Um, so, can you talk about Bam's Fest a little bit and uh, the path that let you led you there? I just want you to just kind of just how did you come up with the idea? Like, what's it been like? All of that. Just talk. I'm gonna, wow. I'm gonna sit back. I'm okay. gonna sit back and just let you do what you do. Sure. Um, uh, wow. Okay. So for Bands Fest, um, it actually started when I was 13 years old. Um, I had just made it to the teen room, like going to the teen room at the Boys and Girls Club in Dorchester was like a thing. It was like a rites of passage. And at the time, uh, they had just hired a new teen director. Um, his name is Derek Patterson. He's still a good friend of mine today. Uh, he was, he was this amazing singer and like convener of teenagers and all things programming. And I watched him for like a year do these talent shows. And I'm like, dude, I want to do a talent show. He's like, okay, I'll show you how to do a talent show. And so I played every single hat. I was a producer, I was a choreographer, I held auditions, I baked cookies, I sold tickets, I created the flyer. Um, I re- got to rent the equipment. I, you, I played every single hat. And by the time the talent show happened, I was so exhausted. But I turned to my mom and I'm like, I wanna do this forever. I don't know what this thing is, but I love it. Um, one, because I got to uh, put my peers on. I got to uh, all the things that I had seen behind the scenes and all the the dances they did or or beatboxing or whatever. I'm like, I want the community to see what y'all are doing. And little young me is going to do this show whether you like it or not. But because I held my ground, I pretty much got all the teenagers in the teen center to do this talent show. So that was the start of my career, essentially. 
because uh, at the at a thirty thousand foot level, the fact that an adult uh, believed in my tenacity and determination to learn this new thing, and then invest time and space and make space for me to do it, is what solidified my career. I just didn't know it yet, mm. and so. Um, while that's happening, I'm also uh, a MECO student at the time. And a MECO student, what it stands for is Metropolitan Council for Educational Opportunities. And it's one of the oldest um, uh, busing systems that takes inner city kids to, you know, white suburbia, if you will, to better their education. It's a 12-year program. So I entered in at second grade. And... Um, <clears throat> throughout that whole experience, I learned how to deal with the ugly truth of racism, sexism, colorism, microaggressions, which wasn't even a term at that time. Right. Um, all of those things, because it helped me to maneuver basically in my career at the tender age of 13. So uh, while I was in high school, um, I started a, a social justice movement called Universal Rhythm. I led all of my peers through this. You had to have a certain GPA. Um, <laughs> you had to apply. And if you failed in one of your classes, I hooked, up, I hooked my peers up with tutors after school. So <laughs> uh, it was definitely in my blood. Um, and we had these interesting talent shows that were meant to reflect our lived experiences as MECO students, right? 98 black kids waking up at five o'clock in the morning to be to school by seven, uh, come home sometimes five, six o'clock at night. That's a lot in one day. And you do that for basically 11 to 12 years of your life. So uh, we, you know, we do amazing things. We do talent shows, we do celebrity basketball games, everything. And, um, all while that was happening was also building a radio station. <laughs> yeah, you know, because multitasking is a thing. Um, I was just, I did not approve of this, this radio station in, in the suburbs being all rock, all rock music. I'm like, this is not diversity. So I convinced my teacher at the time to let me be involved and I created my own title. I was like director of urban music and student programming. I can't yes. remember this um, and I ran it like a business. I wrote my first sponsorship letter. I learned how to, you know, use my story as a, as a poor student, even though I wasn't poor, to get equipment, to, to get sponsorship, whatever I need to do. We build the, we, we rebuild the radio station from scratch, literally, with all new equipment that we didn't have to pay for. And we had, I, I was in charge of the schedule. It was amazing. I, I loved radio. I'm like, I want to do this too. And but high school came to a close and I left and I went to um, a historical black college first. I, I wanted my identity back. Mm. Um, I'd spent 12 years, excuse me, 11 years in the all white school system. I needed, I needed my, my identity back. So I went to Winston-Salem State University in North Carolina. I had an amazing, amazing time. Drumline had just come out. So I was watching that like a billion times and that totally reflected my experience. Wow. Um, 
And then uh, I started off in mass communications and I got really bored because I had already built a radio station in high school. So I'm like, I need something different. So then I transferred and went to Temple University in Philadelphia. And that solidified the world of events and festivals for me. Um, so I was only required to graduate with one internship and knowing me, I did seven. And um, those seven were very crucial because I got to work for the mayor's office of Philadelphia. I got to work for a, um, <clears throat> an, inter an entertainment company that produced two different film festivals. Um, I got to work for Temple University itself, which is crazy. I got to be a part of their college arenas. I wanted to understand every dynamic of events. It didn't matter what it was. Weddings, bar mitzvahs, baby showers, I didn't care. Um, and there were two internships that changed my life. One uh, was with the mayor's office. Um, they produced a festival called Welcome America that still exists. And at the time, um, I, it was run by the, the production and programming and the sponsorship were run by two women who I hold in high regard that showed me that it was very possible to do these mega events. Now, Welcome America at the time attracted over 500,000 people for seven days. Wow. And all programming was free. Wow. Okay, across the city. Wow. <laughs> and uh, they have, every year they had a, a, a firework finale um, concert. And that year was Patti LaBelle, John Legend, and Hall and & Oates. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, this is a great internship, you know? <laughs> I couldn't have asked for a better, better situation. And, and these two women, um, uh, I'll just use their first names, Ivory, Black woman who, I mean, is still phenomenal to this day, you know, ran a production like it was nothing. Just could account for every single detail, even in even being in like 33 sites across the city. Um, and then the woman who led the sponsorship, Valerie, she was like the former director of the Macy's Day Parade. So mm -hmm. I got to be around these wonderful women who literally took me to their wing because I was always in their face. Like, so what's that? What's this? I want to learn this. Um, and so... To, to see how a, a large scale festival like that one affected tourism dollars, economy, and then to see the intentionality of promoting Philly, Philadelphia artists only. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I wanna do this at home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I, I left uh, Temple, got my degree during a recession, oh my goodness. Um, but this, this idea of starting a festival was like, it was just in me. It was just this, this flame that was not going out. Um, so I had to reconnect with my city and understand the lay of the land. Uh, you know, why, why was there not a festival that was produced and led and made visible around black and brown artists? And so I learned quickly um, that the city had kind of put my idea in, in the category of cultural events. And the problem with that was, you know, all the events that were produced by black and brown people that had failed one way or another, that their mistakes were gonna be my burden, even if I, even as I started. 
which is why there was so much tension as to, yes, you can, no, you can't, got to do this, you got to do that, come back in a couple, whatever. So Bands Festival, uh, Boston Art Music Soul Festival, is really about celebrating Black and Brown artistry and the, and the contributions of those artists to the city of Boston and the state of Massachusetts. Um, I had, you know, being raised in Boston, born and raised in Boston, um, I remember all the concerts and the festivals that really defined what it meant for me to be a happy Black child. And then all of those started to disappear. And then I started to see the behavior change, the attitude change. Boston doesn't have anything. There's nothing here for Black people. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> There's plenty. <laughs> but now you got to dig. You got to dig deep for it. So I, I spent a lot of time looking at other festivals produced by Black people. I would call them up, write letters. I wanted to learn everything. Um, and some wanted to talk to me and others didn't. That's, mm. that, that's a very real thing, too. And um, then I learned about certain promoters, Black male promoters in Boston, who had did concerts, not necessarily the festival idea that I had. Uh, some wanted to talk to me. Others didn't. Others told me it would fail. Um, stay out of my stay out of their lane and i'm like it's not that serious i'm just trying to do something for the community and then i remember i put together a, a like the very first draft of this proposal for this festival it wasn't even called bands festival at the time and i remember taking it to someone at berkeley and they were like yeah this sounds great but it's too big and i'm like okay i'm still gonna make it happen but okay um and then i I enrolled at Simmons University in Boston and took a business plan writing course. And mind you, we were only supposed to create a mock business plan. It wasn't supposed to be actualized. Right. And my professor was like, you got to make this a business. I'm like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to do this. It's too much work. I got stuff to do. She's like, you're going to have to make this a business. So. I wrote my business plan. Then she surprised all the students in the class with a pitch competition. So we had to prepare for that and I ended up winning it. Um, wasn't necessarily cash, but the women, the angel investors is mm. what was interesting. Mm -hmm. I had never seen female angel investors. So this was, this was like a completely different world. Yeah. And um, May, May 2015 is where I say the grassroots work started but in terms of the irs uh founding of our organization it's december 2016. and um i remember going to parks and recreation in boston in in 2014 uh with the rough idea and they said it would never work and i said all right i'll see you in four years <laughs> so i knew that in boston you can't just come out swinging with a huge idea even if you're from here it doesn't matter right so I had spent basically four years, four and a half years doing smaller events because I knew in Boston, you had to be consistent, you had to be present and you had to be innovative. And as long as you do those things together, um, you can win the people, you can gain their trust. Uh, they, they will find you to be on their side versus being an enemy. And I would constantly set the tone that this is about building family. It is about um, nostalgic Boston. It is about uh, paying artists of color. It is about making them visible. It is about calling out institutions that claim that they want diversity and inclusion, blah, 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 blah. 
And I said, there's this festival coming that's going to do that. <laughs> but these smaller events is, is a way to build your trust so that by the time the festival happened, I don't have to, I don't have to work that hard to get your attention mm. because everything's familiar. We just, it's done in a day versus a, a whole year. Um, and then we started doing, uh, we started learning from the different artists that we had that there were these interesting conversations about their lived experience that no one was talking about. So we started having these panels um, and, and putting different black and brown artists from different genres and artistic practices in the same room so they can see each other uh, because the silos were constantly perpetuated in terms of dancers over here, filmmakers over there, theater people over there. And I'm like, I'm not an artist, but y'all got to get over yourselves. <laughs> Let's just all be in a room, at least. And it's great because since 2015, we've been able to uh, promote and support a core 300 artists, black and brown, which has been crazy. Um, and then our festival happened in, in June 2018, the coldest day ever. <laughs> Drizzle. <laughs> It was a terrible June. It was a terrible June. I still have a photo of the weatherman who, who <laughs> gave the hour by hour weather report. And it says Bands Festival in the corner. I, I hang on to that, that photo. Um, but even, even through the drizzle and it being cold, 2,200 people showed up and stayed eight hours because there was a need. And then in that year, I, I went hard. I went, we presented a total of 26 black and brown artists, both music and visual art. And then year uh, 2019, it went from 2,200 people to 6,500 people, promoting 30 artists. And now we got dancers, we have choreographers of color teaching salsa and hip hop and African and merengue. We have visual artists, um, you name it. It was, it was someone, there was an audience member who said, this is like a black wonderland <laughs> in, in the hood. And I thought that was amazing to, to, to know that, that, that that's how it made this person feel. Mm. So now, in times of COVID, it's like we have to pivot. And that has been the hardest, hardest challenge to date. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even starting it. It's how to pivot when there are already, when black and brown people are already starting off from a place of inequity. Right. So, <clears throat> We are pivoting. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, come on, let go spill it. How you're pivoting? <laughs> I know you're pivoting. <laughs> yes. So, so if you can imagine, Bands Fest, uh, as of yeah, as of this year, turned five years old as an organization, which is scary. Congratulations. And thank you. It went five by so years. fast. Five yeah. years. And um, we, we completed our first strategic plan in May, 2020, okay? Mm. Right, just right after, just <laughs> right after COVID. Like, yay, we did you it, know. oh shoot. <laughs> <laughs> now, my whole career has prepared me for crisis. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more calmer than my board and staff. Um, 
but I said, okay, so I'm, I'm going to use this downtime. Cause we had the one, we had to cancel the festival, which was so hard. Yeah. Um, but fortunately our sponsors are like, Hey, we want to ride or die with you. Great. That's what I love to hear. Um, so I, I've been using the downtime to pull apart our strategic plan to ask external voices and expertise to help tackle one problem, one or two problems. And the reason why that's essential is because if we don't prepare now, then not even 2021 will make sense. It's all the other years after that. We actually have to plan for the next five years. Right. So been using the downtime to look at how can we go from possibly one scenario now to three, either assuming that we'll go back to some type of, not a new normal, but just some type of normalcy. How do we plan to adjust an on-site festival mm -hmm. or doing a hybrid, half digital, half on-site, or going fully digital? And that requires investment in digital infrastructure, which a lot of nonprofit organizations don't have, especially black and brown. Right. And I am trying to dig and research about how can we, if we are to prepare for a fully digital festival, what do we need to be investing in now? Who mm -hmm. needs to be investing in us to do this work, given that the festival is aimed to achieve these milestones? We want to present over the next 10 years, we want to present over 85 artists of color locally, if not more. We want to get to 20,000 people. We want to be able to, to generate over half a million dollars in net sales for black and brown businesses and entrepreneurs. So how do we do that by planning now? <laughs> so that is, that's where we're sitting right now, which is a great situation. Um, I could be like, you know, other EDs and just panic, but I refuse because I can't, <laughs> can't do it. Um, so we're, we're planning for that. But in the meantime, we're constantly um, finding opportunities for black and brown artists to get paid to still perform. The challenge is with the CDC regulations and guidelines and recommendations, it is making it harder specifically for black and brown artists to get a gig right because of um spit projectile for vocalists mm -hmm. uh you know brass or wind instrumentalists yep <laughs> i'm like well that's half the band exactly. so <laughs> well you know so i i recognize that when i'm dealing with venues that are owned operator managed by black and brown people they're willing to take a 5% risk versus white institutions mm. that want 100% foolproof. And I'm like, this is where we have, we run into problems because there's no one in the room counting the droplets that are coming from people's mouths. So if everyone is protected, you have your sanitizer, your, your cleaning you know, schedule, you've done all that you can do based upon CDC guidelines. So we've been trying to get creative about how do we still make artists visible now in a uh, digital age, if you will. Um, so we've been doing a lot of pre-recorded performances, getting them in front of different audiences that um, now are, are not just required, uh, but need to feature black and brown artists. Yeah. And Bands Fest has become 
a go-to, which is even more scarier because <laughs> I, I will always feel like there is more work for me to do. So um, I have been, you know, incorporating film. I've been incorporating, trying to find different venues that allow us to rehearse and pre-record and, and make sure we're at least we're presenting the, the video um, performance in a way that still feels like home, still feels culturally relevant. Um, so that's been new discovery for us. I know what I want to see. There are there are a handful of uh, sample videos that are my go-to of like, this is the texture, this is the tone, this is the lighting, the colors, this is what I want to see. Can someone do that here in Boston? So I am very specific. Um, and we're able still to pay people, which is great. That's That's so essential. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just that little bit. Just that little tiny bit. Um, so before we before we take a break for a song of the week, I just want to um, just pull out some things that you said that resonate. First of all, that as as an entrepreneur and a member of the creative economy, and pulling these out for others who are entrepreneurs and members of the creative economy to kind of remember, right? As we're trying to navigate these times. But then also in terms of the theme of living our truth, they, they can be applied across anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to say some things and, and you know, uh, they might not make sense in order, but I'm just going to put down what I wrote on my notes. So, okay. uh, <laughs> uh, so the, first, the first thing is that an adult made space for you to follow your curiosity down the rabbit hole and as a result, you discovered not only your passion, but your purpose, right? Yeah. And that happened in a space that was not English class. No. Right. And so when, we, when we're talking about how when we're freaking out about specials mm. in the academic spaces, which is the, that's the call I was on just before this one, I'm in that community nationally, the music ed community, we're trying to navigate what does it mean that we can't have choir and band and orchestra mm. or any kinds of ensembles, um, even when we're allowed to go back into schools together, um, we still won't be able to have these experiences because it requires crowding a bunch of kids into a room and blowing on each other, right? Like that, so, so what do we do? I have some, that's a whole other episode. So I'm going to do that. Um, you said, another thing you said, um, that your flame was not going out. That flame was not going out. And, you know, we, when we choose to live our truth, we are choosing to acknowledge and nurture that flame that will not go out. And if you don't live your truth, you choose not to, you just walk around with this flame bothering the heck out of you. Right? Yeah, essentially. <laughs> so you might as well just do what it wants. <laughs> I, I kid you not, my mother, and I love her to death, uh, she would have to like tell me, go to sleep, stop thinking. Because I, I would have a journal and my hands going. I'm like, but ma, there's all these ideas. Like I dream of just a different future and it looks like this and it's got rainbows and unicorns and it's got Shaka Khan and Charlie Wilson. It's got all these people <laughs> at like 14, right? She's like, okay, but just for tonight, I just need you to go to sleep. <laughs> but yeah, that, that flame, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little dim only because my son just takes half of that flame. Right. But 
Um, this is a good place for that for that flame. Is that uh, is that little sweetie who's not so ooh. little, <laughs> grown man in a little body? Um, no, just the the desire to see my city win. You know, through my own lived experience of being in Philadelphia at the time, like the time that I went through Philly, the Roots picnic had just started. Jill Scott was like on her second album. I had got introduced to Teddy Pendergrass. I just met Music Soul Child and Jasmine Sullivan. And I, I met Usher's, you know, eight. Like, there's just all these things um, that I'm like, man, I need Boston to do this. So I don't know why we're so whack. <laughs> so all of that, I'm like, okay, I can do this. You know, I, I've lived around the way. I, I know my community centers. I know where young people hang. I, I know I can ask my elders for advice. and you know, understand what Boston was like during their time and try to get an assessment of how can Boston be changed and look different and still feel nostalgic around arts and culture and music. And so that's how Dance Festival just, I'm like, I'm gonna fight this to the end so that it becomes a signature event, a staple event, and that there's baby dance festivals coming up yeah. <laughs> after that. Yeah, we replication. Don't be the only one. Absolutely. Yeah replication and that's that's its own brand of activism taking what something that you're doing and not holding your marbles so when you talked about you were calling around to find advice and support from others who had done it and you know some of us you know i'm speaking to our people now some of we get really protective of our marbles and we Ooh. won't share and because we think that there's no room for there are only so many there's only room for so many negroes in the house Mm -hmm. So we, we, you know, jockey each other out of position. It's the crabs in the pot thing. And I love that you said, well, no, because <laughs> the, we all do better if there are more things for us to do. So yeah. let's do that. Um, to that end, uh, talking then about those that have gone before who maybe didn't play, didn't have as tight of a situation going on as, as you do or, and that, or that you strive to do because you're never, you never rest on your laurels. You're always trying to improve what you do. Um, dealing with the fact that someone else's mistakes were your burden. I mean, we all face that in, you know, you can fill in the blank in terms of that yeah. stuff stuck out for me. Um, you said, I love this. Um, you commented on losing the things that made you a happy black child, right? There are things that make for happy black children, yeah. right? Happy, self-actualized black children with a sense of their own agency. And one of them is a community that celebrates itself. Completely. Yeah. And Completely. so, you know, that's, I love that that, that, that just stuck out for me. Um, so with that, um, we're going to celebrate a member of our musical community <laughs> through the song of the week. Uh, we every week feature a different uh, female uh, music artist. Uh, so go on ahead and uh, get your, I don't know, glass of something, stand up, shake something, and uh, sit it back down when we come back right after this. It's time for the song of the week to celebrate Catherine and all of us out here, not only trying to keep our crown straight, but on our own heads. Here's a cut from the debut album of four chair turn Tamara Jade. 
This is Superwoman. Looking in the mirror at me, confident, smart, edgy, but low key. Ready for whatever this world throws me. Got hella things to get done. 99 problems, but the bag ain't one. Goal oriented, future cemented. Work up the second to none. I can be the boss, I can be in charge, or I can be your sidekick. Look danger in the face, I'll run straight into it. And when you're afraid, I'll come running to your rescue. In my dress, in my heels, grab my cape, let's go. I can do what I want, I can do what I feel, cause I'm more than a woman, a superwoman. I can do what I want, I can do what I feel, cause I'm more than a woman, a superwoman. I'm a superwoman. I'm a That was Tamara Jade with Superwoman from her album Self-Aware. Listen on Spotify, shop at TamaraJade.com, and follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let's get back to our interview with Superwoman Catherine T. Morris. I'm really glad to be having this uh, conversation on season two, not just because, you know, it's a, you're, you know, you're a great example of someone who's living the truth, but because that's more people there to find out about BAMS Fest. So hopefully drive some people, my, my five little listeners to your, <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's more That's than that, right. but I don't, I don't know who they are. I haven't, it's too much work. So I'm just like, I just go, I think people are listening. I don't know. 
All right, so I'm gonna pop back in uh, from the sum of the week and we'll finish this up. Sound sure. good? Cool. And we're back. You can catch the song of the week on our That Spencer Life playlist on Spotify. You can also check out links to this week's artists on our Facebook and Instagram pages. We are back with Catherine T. Morris of BAMS Fest, the brain trust and driving force behind one of the most innovative festivals featuring black and brown uh, artists across artistic disciplines and practices. Um, and really focused on Boston local work, right? Which makes the rest of us jealous as we wanted to. <laughs> but that's okay, because the rest of us, now it's our job to, would you say, make Little Bams Fest everywhere else. So Absolutely. we're going to be, we're gonna be checking, checking you for that, uh, Ms. Morris. So, um, so let's get a little personal. So how we heard about BAMS Fest and let's talk about you just a little bit because you don't you talk about your business a lot because you try not to talk about yourself when we when we started you're like BAMS I'm busy I'm like I know you're busy I didn't ask how <laughs> I asked how you are my friend how are you are you well are you tired are you hungry what's up so um just tell us just a little bit as much as you can tolerate <laughs> <laughs> about how, aside from BAMS Fest, how mm -hmm. are you living your truth? You know, what are the rewards and challenges of that? And what other ways are you in your life living your truth? Um, wow, that's actually kind of loaded. So uh, pre-COVID, um, I love, love, love traveling to other festivals. Not because I don't have to do the work, but um, seeing the difference between doing a festival here in Boston, doing one in Atlanta, doing one in the Caribbean, yeah. uh, just totally different vibes. And, and I just get to be my unapologetic black self because no one knows me, uh, <laughs> which I love. And just get to be in the moment, which is very rare because I'm always in band's fest mode. Um, and really get to enjoy the people and culture that is just different from what I'm used to. Uh, so pre-COVID, I, I was set to go to to Miami, which I'm glad I didn't, but I was mm. set to go to Miami to see a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, which was a festival that is produced uh, by a Black woman um, called Jazz in the Gardens. And this year featured Mary J. Blige, her, Charlie Wilson, Jill Scott, and The Roots. And I'm like, I'll never see that again in my lifetime, but couldn't happen. Um, so outside of that, I love, um, I love cooking. I've, I've got an Instapot, air fryer, regular Instapot. I'm, I'm just all of my recipes. Yeah. Uh, so, so as I'm aging gracefully and backwards, um, just cooking, <laughs> cooking lovely meals, trying different things. Um, you know, trying to test my taste buds and, and push that to the limits. Uh, spice is probably not my favorite, but hey, you know, it is what it is. Um, catching up on different uh, television shows. Quite honestly, I very rarely watch television because I'm just always in band fest mode. So to catch up with shows and, and different music, uh, I felt like I was like maybe years behind, apparently. 
but recently been watching just different shows. Um, I love a good dance show. Um, so World of Dance has been my thing. Um, I got caught up with The Masked Singer, which was interesting. So fun. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I think I know who that is. Um, <laughs> it's so fun. Uh, Show so fun. <laughs> um, watching a lot of like documentaries on, on artists, um, women entrepreneurs, black women entrepreneurs. Um, I recently finished a, a show um, that is a pilot called Blood and Water um, from Netflix. Mm. And uh, all Black casts, predominantly, I want to say Africa. Um, I sing Johannesburg, to be exact. Um, but it's it's this real interesting thriller mystery, which is something I would never affiliate with Black and Brown people. So to see it has been great. Um, and then just really providing space and time to give our son a childhood, like uninterrupted from COVID. It's, yeah, yeah you're here, mommy and daddy, for like 150 days, but we're going to make these 150 days the best ever. That's awesome. So just creating space and, and recognizing what it means to be a, a Black mother in times of a health and racial pandemic mm. and recognizing that my son is born with a born with a target on his back and belly mm. and um, knowing that right now he is not concerned about the world except for the people that are in it and even through tragedy he has no concept of what's going on he knows that he's home more often mm. but the fact that um, when he wakes up he's greeted with love and humming and kisses and singing and you know, he just knows his parents are always there. He gets to see his grandmother every day. So we, you know, I've made a choice to make sure that he has a childhood that he can remember or that when he morphs into this beautiful young man, um, that his foundation wasn't traumatic as much as we could spare him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I think for me is, uh, just doing a lot of journaling. It's been a long time since I've journaled. Mm. And um, it's been really great. Uh, not even just from therapeutic, but uh, sometimes I feel like, and this might be you too, like my hand has its own mouth and it just sometimes has to ramble, but my mind can't catch it with what the hand is writing. Yes. So apparently my hands had a lot to say these <laughs> last couple of months. I didn't, rec- I didn't recognize it. So I, I've actually kind of, like reflected back on like wow I don't know if I was angry or my hands just felt some kind of way about the world Mm. um but also you know just just getting up every day and just stretching a little bit you know um being at a computer all day is hard yes ma'am building in the breaks remembering to drink water uh (laughs) All those different things. Um, and I think my most favorite pastime right now is Sunday drives. I get on my truck, pack the kid. I'm like, so we're going to go somewhere. Don't know where we're going to land, but know that you will be fed. Mm. And um, my son just, he loves it. He calls out everything on the road, on the highway. If he sees water or a body of water, we have to pull over to the side because he's got to see the ocean. God forbid there's a motorcycle. So Sunday drives is the thing my father did for us when we were kids. Um, I'm the youngest of five, but the tallest of five. <laughs> Go figure. 
Um, and I've always continued that tradition with my son. So Sunday drives is a thing. Um, and I think we were trying, we were trying to make it to Provincetown a couple of weeks ago. Didn't quite make it to Provincetown, but we made it to Barnstable Mass, mm-hmm. which was very quaint, very small. Um, and my son did not care who was around. He was running everywhere. So Sunday drives is my thing. I really mm-hmm. love Sunday drives. Um, we have that in common, my mom and I. Would. <laughs> Actually, we did ours on Saturday. Okay. Uh, we did ours on Saturday uh, because she was a church treasurer. So Sunday was like we had to stay after church and count the money. So we would, you know, so we'd have lunch. Yeah, but but Saturday was the day, and we used to just go and get lost, mm-hmm. right? Because that was the day it. before GPS, right? So you just get in the car and point the car in a direction and see what was at the end of the road until it's time for dinner. Go get some Wendy's, turn around and come back. (laughs) Every time, every time. So (laughs) that's great. I just love, well, thank you for sharing that. Cause see, I, now I know a little bit more about you besides your festivals and other things that we kiki about as black women. (laughs) So uh, it's time now for our rapid fire questions. Oh, boy. yes. Oh, you're going to be okay. You're all boom, right. Boom, 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 boom. Heart is throbbing. <laughs> okay. All right. So these are the questions that everybody gets to answer on the episodes. So uh, just, you know, have fun. Keep it short. Don't, it's okay. Make it Pressure. off the bandaid. All right. So uh, first thing is, what is your top tip for anyone, anyone seeking to live their truth? Forgive, don't dwell in your mistakes, and you can only change your actions, not those of others. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. Um, Next one. What do you do to take care of you? You told us a little bit, but anything else that you do to take care of yourself? Keep yourself going? I do a lot of power walks, and I have a playlist for every mood. So I take my playlist very seriously. Mm. Um, so if it's a cloudy day, that's a different sort of playlist from my sunny days or misty rain. So uh, I love to power walk and um, I love being by the ocean. Those are my two like go-tos for everything. Mm. So great. I, I am not surprised that you have a, <laughs> you have a playlist for every situation because here comes the last question. Oh, Lord. Now, I promise I would do this. Yes, yes, you're okay. I promise I would do this. So I'm going to say to this audience right now, you are not to take offense or or be upset or get in your feelings behind Catherine's answers to this last question because she only can answer very short and she can only say the first couple of names that come off her top of her head. But I promise you, uh, to uh, because her your choices. Your, what you say is going to be added to our That Spinster Life playlist on Spotify. Oh um, but here's the thing. We will then be trolling BAMS Fest for the rest of the year. Oh, gosh. And anyone that, you, any of the women or female identifying performers that you put up between now and the end of the year, we will automatically put them on the playlist so that we don't have 
you don't come back to me and say everybody's mad at me because <laughs> I said these people and not the rest of them. So there you go. <laughs> oh boy. So, All right. Did I give you enough time to think of like two or three people? Absolutely not. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's that's totally so, fine. So who are you listening? Who are some two or three people that you're listening to of the thousands that you know? Of the thousands. Um, Jill Scott's prepared. It's a great song. Um, there's a local artist here in Boston named Oompa, has a, a album called Cleo, dedication to um, Queen Latifah's character and set it off. Uh, she has a song called Thank You. It, mm-hmm. It's like this hip hop gospel. It's just, it's all kinds of glorious. Nice. Um, and I think my go-to that puts me and my son to sleep is Bob Marley's Waiting in Vain. Mm. <laughs> Those are like, that's just on my, my iPod constantly on my Spotify, guaranteed. Nice. See, that wasn't so hard. You did I it. Had to, I had to think in the order, though. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm creating a mini playlist for Lissa's crazy question that I don't want to answer, let me figure out who's on that. So Yeah. <laughs> yes, basically. Okay. Well, that's okay. I'll, you know. It's, it all comes out in the wash. I'm sure you'll get me back for this at some point. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. See, I see. Oh, that I didn't like that face. So that's okay. That's, <laughs> that's the, that's the uh-oh, it's really going to happen face. Um, Catherine, mogul. Oh, boy. I know. I love You've been I, calling me that forever. I know, because it's true. It's true. Um, you know, I just, I'm just super proud of you, super proud to know you, and glad that I could, you know, be there for the beginnings of this crazy, awesome important earth-shaking thing that you do and i just really appreciate you for it and i just you know challenge all of us with our ear to this particular show to figure out you know how to how to make things like this happen despite the times uh, so that when we are on the other side we have you know we have a network of bams fests like events in places where we would least expect them right because that's that's where the change will happen thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me this is awesome let's keep in touch and um if i ever get back up there um we'll have a we'll have our tea and and catch up for real oh yes thank you thank you you're welcome be sure to check out Catherine T. Morris's work at BAMSFest.org and on social media at BAMSFest. The conversation continues next week as I chat with Vera Rowe, an award-winning dancer and entrepreneur based in South Florida. We'll talk about her transition from leap of faith to living her truth as a competitive Latin ballroom dancer and dance studio owner in a pandemic. Until then... Check out that Spinster Life playlist on Spotify and join our community via Patreon. If you're enjoying the show, follow us on Facebook and Instagram and remember to tell your friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of That Spinster Life. I'm Alyssa Jones. That Spinster Life is produced by JCC Media, a division of Jones Creative and Consulting. Follow the show at That Spinster Life on Facebook at That Spinster Life Podcast on Instagram and thatspinsterlife.com.